0: some events of the last 24 hours uh, that I want us to be mindful of. So let's jump in. It's Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to kick off right in verse 1. Let me set the stage in case there's folks here who haven't uh, been with us and aren't familiar with the story. Uh, Jonah is a prophet that God commanded to go and deliver a very specific message to the city of Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to do that. And so the Bible tells us that he very purposefully took action, in in the Bible's words, to take himself as far away from the presence of God as Jonah thought he could possibly get. And what happens instead is that God chases him down through a storm on the sea. Uh, Circumstances arise where Jonah gets thrown into the ocean and God's presence sends a giant fish to swallow Jonah, which by the way, if you were at the park this last week, that group did the best job of telling this story. It was amazing. They were fantastic. Um, and if you weren't there, you missed out. Uh, I was like, man, I, w- I just want to box them up and bring them back for Sunday morning church because it was so cool. They had theme music and props and actors and man, it was cool. So sorry, today you get me. Uh, that's the way it works out. Um, Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish. He repents and acknowledges God for who he is. And God, in his mercy, then has the fish throw up blah, Jonah on the beach at Nineveh. Jonah goes in, gives the message that God commanded him to give. And as we talked about last week, after he gives that message, the people of Nineveh hear the message. They believe the message of God, and they respond to the message of God by repenting and saying, oh, we've been doing terrible things. We want to repent. We want to be obedient to what God wants us to do. And that's where we are. All of this has transpired. And in in any other story that we read in the Bible, this might be a cause for celebration. Woo, this is great. Everybody did the right thing. This is awesome. Awesome. And yet right here, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, everyone in the city of Nineveh, including the king, has repented. They've given themselves to be obedient to God and to do that which is right, to do that which is just. Jonah's delivered the message and it's produced exactly what uh, God intended. And Jonah is described this way, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. If you'd never read this story before, you might get to that part and go, whoa, plot twist. Like, I didn't see this coming. This isn't what was expected. You would think that that after Jonah got himself squared away in his own heart, and then the people of Nineveh got themselves squared away in their heart, that Jonah would be like, okay, this all worked out. But we get some insight into this guy Jonah. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Isn't that a beautiful description of God? Here it is even in the Old Testament. You know, sometimes God gets a bum rap in the Old Testament. We, we get this, this idea, and people will say this, and, and that book, The God Questions, deals with this a little bit about how God just looks like he's always angry and trying to squash somebody in the Old Testament. And there are some, there are some difficult things to deal with in the story arc that we see in the Old Testament, but underneath of every one of those things that happens, and it's true still today... From beginning to end, what we see in God is even when God's wrath is poured out on unrighteousness, his goal is to try and draw humanity back to himself. He's not trying to push humanity away, he's trying to rescue us. And so, here in this case, Jonah acknowledges these qualities of God. He says, Look, you're gracious, you're merciful, it takes you a long time to get angry. You abound in love that is steadfast, he says. It just, oh, it hangs on. And you're abundant in that. And you like to relent from disaster. That's a God I can believe in. That's a God I can believe loves me. A God that I can believe loves you. One who has those qualities in his personality and who he is. And so Jonah says, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen, and this is why I didn't want to go, because I knew if I went and gave the message and the people believed that you would relent from your disaster, you would be gracious towards them, you would show your love towards them, and and you start thinking, whoa, Jonah, this is messed up, man. And he's so angry about it. He's so over the top with it in himself. In verse 3, he says, therefore now, O Lord, because you did all this stuff, please kill me. Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Can you say overly dramatic? (laughs) Do you know anybody like that? Are you like that? <laughs> we all have our moments, right? I mean, I think Jason Jason covered this text a few weeks ago, and I think he mentioned you know kind of that uh, that pity party type mentality and we get that and a lot of times you know you'll see this this text preached and it's hard not to to fall into that that same trope because it's kind of true you know that kind of you know call the ambulance Jonah why oh poor me uh, I did exactly what God told me to do and it turned out in a way that glorifies God and I don't like it but let's let's poke at that just a little bit deeper remember Jonah has just listed and extolled and been excited at one point about the qualities that he, he told us about God. This is something that, that he's apparently seen with his own eyes, that God is loving, and not in a superficial way, not in a way that's uh, transient, that comes and goes, but that God's love is like an anchor. <sighs> Down in the solid rock that holds on. And, and the implication there in the language is that the steadfast love of God is that it doesn't depend on whether your love is steadfast. It is totally dependent that His is steadfast. Uh, Jesus describes it this way. He says that the Father is able to keep those who are within His hand. That's what His love is like. And so at one point, Jonah must have thought these were great qualities for God to have, that he he has enjoyed them himself, this steadfast love of God, this, this ability for God to be gracious, to extend grace or favor, even when Jonah or I'm not quite hitting the mark of what I should be doing or where I should be going but instead of, you know, God just instantly zapping, that he's gracious and he allows, he allows failure because he desires repentance. The psalmist said, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, meaning a heart that's genuinely sorry, a broken spirit and a contrite heart he will not despise the psalmist says. God loves a heart that is repentant and God desires a heart that is repentant. And so he's gracious towards us, extravagantly gracious. Jonah thought that was a great thing at one time. Slow to anger. Uh, One of the fruits of the Spirit that we find over in the New Testament, patience, the, the, the idea of the fruits of the Spirit is that when we become a follower of Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God seals us for all of eternity. He, 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 he bonds us. He binds us. He, he is now, we are no longer slaves to our sinful nature, but instead we're slaves to love. We're slaves to the Lord in a way that allows us to live a life now free of making choices for that which is evil. And so the, one of the, the fruits that come from that in our lives, one of the things that comes to blossom, one of the things that comes to, to produce should be increased patience. Patience with the trials of life, patience with one another, patience with ourselves. Maybe that sometimes is the hardest for us to work out. We can be really hard on ourselves and look at our own lives and say, man, I'm really messing this up. I mean, I'll look at Mike and I'll give, I'll say, man, you know, Mike, it's okay. God knows and, and repent and he's going to be with you. And then I go to my own, inside my own head and just beat myself up all day long about the mistakes I've made. But that patience should extend to us as well. But as a believer, it should be growing over time. And here we see that the Lord is indeed slow to anger, and Jonah used to think that was a good thing. And then that last one, relenting from disaster, we talked about that last week about the the, the language that's here, that, you know, how prayer can change things, how God has an intention In this case, to destroy the people of Nineveh. And yet, if they repent, if they repent, the Bible says that God relents. He doesn't destroy them, He offers the same to us. And Jonah thought this was a good thing at one time, but here it brings him great anger. And so it raises the question here's the question. Imagine wanting to withhold the message that God has given you to the people in the the world around you, the people in your life, maybe the world at large, who knows what platform God may give you, but imagine wanting, not just failing, you know, not just just kind of uh, being apathetic, well, look, I know God wants me to do this, but, you know, I just don't have it in me right now, and so I'm just going to... Take a nap, not that passive thing, but actively wanting, taking action to secure your ability to withhold God's message because you're afraid it will be successful. Let me, put it in, let me put it in very personal terms that, that maybe we'll be able to understand. Let's imagine that you live next door to someone that God has been telling you, share the gospel with them. Now, we all struggle with, oh, I don't want to be rejected. I don't, I don't want to be treated like a fool. I don't want to be embarrassed um, or that person is scary to me, or we've had some history that I don't think that I can speak through that. You know, these are all justifications that we all wrestle with when we're, we're faced with the opportunity to share. Remember what I said, the, the most foundational message that all of us are, are called to share is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's, nobody, nobody who's a believer gets out of the assignment to do that. And so let's, let's just start there. So, so we have this, this neighbor, this person, and we know that God has been telling us to share the gospel with them. And it's not that we just, we can't get over the, kind of over the hump or we're apathetic, but we are sitting in our house saying, you know what, I don't want to share the gospel with Bob or with Mary because I'm afraid if I do, they're going to believe it and God will rescue them and I don't want that to happen. Oh. That's the story here. Those were Jonah's words. He said, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give the message because I was afraid this is exactly what was going to happen. Is that they would repent and you would be good. And I'm not happy about that. Now, I don't know what Jonah's heartache with the people of Nineveh was. Or, or maybe it wasn't just specifically Nineveh. I don't know. But it's made me think about my internal dialogue when I feel like God is leading me to do something. And if I'm finding myself not being obedient, I'm, uh, it's making me think, okay, really, why is that? When we get through the rest of these verses here, we see that, that Jonah really does have a pretty big pity party. Um, he goes and sits on the hillside above the city and is watching kind of the the machinations of what's happening there. I'm not sure what he hopes to accomplish there other than to pout. Uh, He hasn't gotten a new assignment from God that we hear, and so he's maybe not sure where to go, but he goes up and he sits. The sun is beating down, and then the Lord, the Lord God is, I don't know, sarcastic funny I don't know look here's what happens he goes and he sits on the hill the sun's beating down the Bible says that God causes a plant to grow a tree to grow up out of the ground in a a day it comes up and it shields Jonah from the hot sun oh that must be so nice and I'm sure Jonah thought it was really great and then the next day the sun came up Jonah wakes up, the plant is there, he's like, oh, okay, God's happy with me, this is good, gave me a plant. The Bible says here in the story that God then that same morning, that next morning, appointed a worm to come and eat the tree and killed it. 24 hours, ugh, tree, ugh, dead. And, I, and I'll, I'll say this, the, the book of Jonah has the weirdest ending of any book in the Bible, Um. Scholars think that probably the the prophet Jonah himself wrote this because of some of the detail that's in it and the way it's it's given. And it reminds me of some of the writing that I've done. Where I and especially if you're a college student, you probably understand this. You know, you're doing a paper and you're getting down to the last of it, and you're you're doing the word count, and you need ten thousand, and you're you're like at you know ninety nine ninety, and your last sentence is just garbage. Uh, it's it's no good. Uh, it doesn't really have anything. It it. It ends so abruptly here, but the sun rose, God appoints a worm and an east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah to, to the point that he was faint, he was going to pass out. And this all arises because back in verse 4, after this whole thing of, it's better that I die than I live, because all you did all this great stuff, God, and I knew that was going to happen, and I just want to die because that was dumb on your part. And God asks this question, he says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And what God is asking, he says, do you really think you have any right to be angry about this? Is this good for you? You think this is okay? I think God maybe meant it as a rhetorical question because the obvious answer to that question from our perspective is, no, this is not good. But Jonah doubles down. He's like, yeah, yeah, I deserve to be angry. And so then God teaches him this lesson. The plant grows, shields the sun, the wind, the plant dies, the worm comes, kills the plant, this wind blows in, it's hot, it's fainting, Jonah's even about to faint, it's so hot. And again, Jonah asked in verse 8, he says, he asked that he might die and and said, it's better for me to die than to live. And then in verse 9, God says this, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for that plant? You think you have a right to be angry about the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah's got some chutzpah. In verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Here's, the, here's the, the, the problem that God is trying to point out to Jonah. He says, you're sitting out here complaining and crying about the heat, sitting up on this hill, and you're sad and mad about a plant that you did absolutely nothing to produce. It was strictly a miracle of God, and it's God's decision to grow it, and it's God's decision to kill it, but it's nothing more than a plant and you're so upset about that plant and you're applying the same thing to the people of Nineveh like Like, you had anything really to do with that? You were just my instrument. You were just the tool that I used to go and deliver that message. But you weren't the one who grew up those people. You're not the one who breathed their life into them. You're not the one who holds their future in your hand. Don't you think that the one who possesses all of those things, the Lord God Almighty, that he is the one? If anyone has a right to be angry about either of these things, is it not the one who created them and breathed their life into them and holds their destiny in their hands? That's the question he's asking. In verse 10, he's basically saying to Jonah, he says, look, you wanted me to have pity on you. Verse 11, should I not also then pity Nineveh, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. That's the part I don't get. <laughs> I'm not sure why that came in there, unless Jonah was really about beef and wanted to remind that, which, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm totally down for that. I just don't really understand why that's there. True confessions. And it ends then with this question for us, I think. We see God's compassion on display here because (laughs) what could have been his righteous and holy response to Jonah in all of this? I mean, he could not have rescued him from the water in the first place. And then, when Jonah gets all bent out of shape, that the people actually repent and do what God is wanting them to do and are restored to God, Jonah gets angry about that. God could have punished him, God could have zapped him, right? But he didn't. And we see in the end of this that God is continuing still to draw Jonah, and he's continuing still to draw us to be reminded. That as we live and move and breathe in this world, in the presence of God, as missionaries of the Lord, as witnesses among the earth, that our mission, our calling is to give the message, to speak the good news, to live the good news. And we should be doing that with a heart that desires to see those around us who need that message be restored to come to the knowledge of of who Jesus is and receive it. And guys, as I mentioned last week, so much of what's going on in our world and in our culture right now is just this. It's just fighting over every single thing, political issues, social issues, religious issues. And I'm not saying don't stand up for what's right. I'm saying, for goodness sakes, find a way to deliver your message that reflects The love, the slow anger, the steadfast love, the graciousness, the willingness to relent from disaster that we see in the character of God towards this great city that was involved in terrible evil, God said. The same love and graciousness and slowness to anger and compassion that he extended towards us when we needed it and we became a follower of Christ. There's a song we used to do with the band a long time ago, If You Want to Lead Me to Jesus. If you want to lead me to Jesus,
1: you'd better find a better way. Uh,
0: Because the voice you're speaking so loud, I can't even hear a word you say. Right? Are we shouting too much at our culture are we shouting too much at our neighbors are we fighting too much with those who are opposed to us in some way uh, philosophically or politically or whatever so much so that they can't hear the message of truth we're trying to communicate If you didn't catch the news, oh, oh this, to, to make this connection, I realized as I was looking at this last night, especially in light of yesterday's news and then this morning's news, um, I recognized in myself a long time ago when I was reading stories in the Bible and um, uh, parables in particular that I had a tendency to cast myself as the best character in the, sh- in the story. Like whoever it was that was messing it up, I wasn't that person. And then somewhere along the way, I matured to the point where I realized that the whole point of these stories was to remind me that I messed things up, and how God was going to respond to me when I mess those things up, and how God would respond to you when you're not getting it right, that, that we're not always and maybe not even usually the best characters in the story. And so here, even though I don't know if you can call Jonah a great character... The tendency is to cast ourselves as Jonah in this story, and I've done that mostly through this series. You know, what messages God called you to share? Are you doing that? Why are you doing that? If you're not doing that, why aren't you doing that? And, and shouldn't you be delivering the message in a way that reflects who God is and what his, what his characters are? I just said that. But, but what, if we're, what if we're Nineveh? A, a, a city of great evil, it says at the beginning. What if, what if our life individually, what if we're Nineveh and, and God's trying to deliver a message to us? What if, what if our great city of Anchorage here is Nineveh? It needs a message from God. What if this country? What if this country is, is a Nineveh that needs to hear the message of God? How is that message going to be delivered? Who's going to deliver it? And in what way will they deliver it? What way will you, what way will we deliver the message of the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that we're hopeful, not like Jonah, we're hopeful that they'll actually hear? Or what message is God trying to give to us collectively that we're not receiving When the video starts here in just a moment, I'm going to ask the band to come and take their place, and we'll sing one last uh, song together here. But um, I could not let this morning pass without commenting on the events of the last 24 hours. If you've been unaware, there was a terrible shooting in El Paso, Texas yesterday. Twenty people lost their lives in a Walmart. Last count, nine people lost their lives outside of a bar in Dayton, Ohio, uh, early this morning to to a gunman. Uh, folks, I, I don't, I don't want to hear any conversations about gun control or politics or any of that nonsense. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the heart of humanity. I'm talking about the evil that lurks within the heart of mankind. It will never be solved by political systems. It will never be solved by the next president or the last president or who holds sway in Congress. All of that is, is monkey business compared to the need at the heart of humanity, the need that we all share collectively here together, and the need that is crumbling the world around us to some degree that we'll never be able to overcome, but within which we are supposed to be the light of the world. And if our hearts are breaking for our neighbors in those places and countless other stories before where people have lost their lives to senseless violence of one kind or another, the solution is not going to be found in government. The solution is not going to be found in political systems or economic stability or any of those things. Those can be great tools that God can use, and he speaks about it in his word, but the solution is the good news of Jesus Christ that this world is broken by sin and is in desperate need of rescue by the one who can save us. The sacrificial lamb of God, God himself clothed in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the man who is also God Almighty, purchasing our sins, Paying for our sins. Paying for the sins of the world. What he requires is for us to follow. And he's calling others to follow. We have that message to give. Maybe one of the reasons the world is in such dire straits is because we, and the church in general, isn't delivering the message. I hear so often from people Um, I'm looking for such and such church because they'll have what I want. I'm going to such and such church because they have what I want. I don't want to go to your church because I don't like that guy. I don't want to go to your church because I don't like that guy. I don't like that program. I don't like that emphasis. And I'm telling you, it's all garbage. We have become a consumeristic World of Christians, especially in this country. We seek what we want when what we should want is to share the message of Jesus Christ. And we're failing. We're failing as churches and we're failing as individuals to share that message. So I'm going to take a moment this morning. We're just going to run this video. Uh, the, The words to this song speak, I think. To the need of humanity, would you take a moment and pray about your life, your mission, your ministry in the world that God is calling you to? Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. Pray for those who are grieving this morning from from terrible, horrific circumstances. Pray that prayer changes things, right? We talked about that last week. Pray that God will will intervene, that there will be a great move, a great revival a great outpouring of his spirit upon the world, upon this nation, and that we as people of faith will put our faith where it belongs, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and not in any other thing or any system of man, not in the church, not in government, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for those things this morning as this video runs, and uh, worship team come and lead us in our final song this morning.
1: ever ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon Mount of Thy redeeming love, Jesus sought. death shall Find my wandering heart to Thee, prone to walk. me from danger by thy unchanging